You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their careers and life journeys. Before we get started, don't forget to sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter where we provide career tips, industry blogs, and information on our upcoming events and much more. Today, we have the pleasure to interview Agnieszka Michiak, who is currently the SVP of People and Social Engagement at Total Energies based in Paris. She began her career at PSA Peugeot in Poland, which is a car manufacturing industry. She joined Schlumberger in 2000, where she held a succession of senior leadership positions in HR, including HR director, production group, global talent management, and workforce planning in North America shared services. Earlier in her career at Schlumberger, she held various management positions in HR, operations, and business consulting in North America, Europe, and North Africa. In 2018, she joined Technique FMC as Executive Vice President, People and Culture, where she held and led the HR function as well as global business services. Wow, Agnieszka, you truly have just an amazing career and we cannot wait to dig in and see a little bit more of the behind the scenes and how you got to where you are today. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Matthew. I'm very excited to be here today and thank you again for what you are doing for the younger generation of women and younger people. I was listening to some of the podcasts of some of my previous colleagues. It's actually very interesting. And you got my name almost perfectly right. (laughs) As good as it goes. (laughs) For those who don't know, we've been practicing to make sure that we got her name right, which really brings us into our first question about you, Agnieszka, which was really interesting and something I would have never guessed. So I think the listeners are really going to like to understand where you came from. So Agnieszka was born in Poland, but at an early age, you moved to Algeria with your family for a better future. Many people probably listening would think Algeria for a better future, which is why I think it's a really interesting dynamic that y'all encountered. But your father was a university teacher and your mother, someone you always looked up to, was an architect. Initially, your parents figured y'all would be there for two or three years and then head back to Poland. But that wasn't the case. You ended up making Algeria your home and being there close to 12 years. Can you tell us about your upbringing and how this shaped you into who you are today and really what it was like growing up in Algeria? Sure. I'm not sure about a better future, but I think you summarize it pretty well. Look, yeah, indeed, we moved to Algeria. I was quite young, and I think, you know, for my parents, it was a way to do something else, move a little bit out of Poland, which at the time was kind of in this post-communist time. And we stayed there for a long period of time. I stayed there for 12 years. My parents a little bit longer. And as a matter of fact, I even came back later working for Schlumberger. In terms of childhood upbringing, you know, for me, I just have very, very fond memories of my childhood. It was full of joy, full of happiness, you know, those huge parties with plenty of kids, different ages, all running, close to nature. We were living in a very close, very small little town where the university was, where my parents, my dad first, and then my mom were working at. So the weekends was... You know, we would go and camp on the beach, we would hike, we would pick mushrooms, even hunt wild boar, which was kind of exceptional. 
But even at school, we would spend so much time outdoor, uh, really huge amount of freedom, of autonomy, and so on. Also took some survival skills, I must say, to be thrown into a local school without speaking the language. That was not easy at first. And then, you know, at a certain point, just when I adjusted well, actually, I was starting to speak. My mom and I had to go back to Poland to take care of my grandmother. And I had to readjust again to a very, very different reality, to a Polish school system. Once again, post-communism times, so very formal, very structural. We would, you know, wear those gray uniforms and sing the national anthem. So just the opposite of my little school in the little town in Nigeria. I didn't like it, to be very frank with you. And then, you know, back to Algeria into a boarding school at this time. So lots of kind of adaptation, you know, basic survival skills, if you will. But I think, you know, this is where all the diversity, equity, inclusion topics, they so much resonate with me because in a way I never really felt like there was a place or a country I belonged to. Maybe Houston felt, I think Houston felt a little bit like home, but you know, here I am in Paris again. So um. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Veril has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Veril because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. I love that you mentioned that. And especially with young families like yourself that move a lot as they're growing up, it's true. You're always the outsider. You're always a new child in school, et cetera. But to your point, it's shaped you into becoming who you are today, which now you can move across the world in different of your roles. And you're equipped to your point. You're equipped and you're ready to do it because it's part of your DNA now. <laughs> we wanted to talk about your aspirations as a young girl. You wanted to be like your mother. You wanted to follow her footsteps, become an architect. However, she discouraged you to go into architecture because it didn't pay well and she just wanted a different future for yourself. Finances were always tight in your upbringing and your mother wanted you to have a better financial outcome with your career choices. So she was you know, telling you not to follow her footsteps. And we wanted to talk a little bit about just at that age when you're trying to decide what you want to do, what degree you want, it can be very difficult, especially because you don't know what you want at that age. And there's a lot of external and internal pressures to find the perfect degree and that you have to decide what it is that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Can you tell us a little bit about just that journey of yours to figure out what you wanted to do? Because it took a little bit of different paths and you ended up in communications. And now you have a daughter yourself who's currently going through trying to find her career path. What advice do you have for those going through it and feeling like they need to have an answer? Yeah, so indeed, you know, my path into getting a university diploma was certainly not the most straightforward. And probably I would say to be perfectly frank, a little bit random, 
probably driven more by what I could afford and some of the bad advices I was given. That's what I really wanted to do. But that being said, it was not very clear to me as well what I wanted to do. There was this architect uh, moment at a certain time, but was never really a passion for me. You know, like some people have a dream and they stick to it and they just and for me it was always, you know, I just didn't know. I was in an environment where there was not all those, you know, college counselors that young people would have now. So I was kind of searching, didn't know what to do. You know, I was good in math. I really didn't like some aspects of physics, like electricity is still my nemesis. So I went to business schools and then, you know, kind of halfway through, not even halfway through, I realized I couldn't pay for it. And so I ended up in communication. So a little bit of a twisted path. And, you know, so I did always envy people who are like, once again, having this dream on this is I want to be a doctor. And, you know, and you have very determined, very driven people who know what they want to do. That was not my case. And I think, you know, the reality is that not everyone is like that. Not everyone is, you know knows exactly what they want to do and there is lots of pressure to know what to do and there is lots of pressure we put on ourselves to define what we want to do and sometimes you know a kind of more opportunistic approach can lead to almost equally or sometimes more successful career so it's not you know what works for some does not necessarily work for the others and you know, different path could lead in a way to exactly the same outcome. So what I tell my daughter today, who just turned 18, actually, this month, and who, by the way, Esme does not have this dream of knowing exactly what she wants to be. So I'm telling her, leave the options open, seize the opportunities, work hard, obviously, and be curious, and you will figure it out. And I think that's kind of this open-minded attitude is important. So, you know, by the way, she's going to Canada and she's studying engineering. But, you know, engineering, it's a very open option. So it kind of ticked the boxes as well. And we will see, maybe she will be a lawyer or maybe she will work in HR in the future. But as I said, you know, I think there are different paths and you can kind of get at the same end or different ends. I really like that you mentioned the advice that you gave your daughter, especially in times like today, you know, it's okay to have an open mind and it's okay to not be aware of where you want to be. And your story really tells about that, especially from the beginning, from going to college and changing what degrees you were going to take to then also getting your first job, which was at a popular car company at the time. And you spent a majority of your time there right out of college and you started with HR. So you did get your communications degree, but that doesn't always mean that HR will be your first role, but it was for you. And then four years later, you know, you worked for SLB in Paris in their HR division as well. And then after six years, you were the Romania country manager, which is a very interesting transition. But you mentioned to us that we should spend more time leveraging on our strengths and focusing on areas for development, despite what others try to tell us. And this really goes into your progression and the roles that you took. Can you tell us and can you kind of expand on that and what that means to you and how it helped you throughout your career and deciding on those roles that you took within really two separate companies at the beginning of your journey? 
Sure. So, you know, there was, again, some kind of more opportunistic moves. As a matter of fact, you know, the path through the Romania country manager went through consulting. I was in consulting. I was working back in Algeria and I got my first baby, the same daughter I'm giving advices now on what to do for high school. And I decided at the time I couldn't do rotations anymore. It was one of those rotational jobs. And this is how I ended up in Romania, first in HR and then as country and then as region manager. And, you know, as you mentioned, and as I mentioned before, I didn't have a technical background, which was actually hard at first to visit clients and sometimes, you know, not really understanding what they are talking about. And I first felt a little bit not competent, unqualified. And I guess being a woman does not help because, you know, you cannot sometimes prevent yourself from thinking, am I the diversity figure here? Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of this feeling in the beginning. So, you know, I tried to compensate. I was asking tons of questions. I was doing some technical courses to get to the level. And at a certain point, I actually realized that I was quite good at my job because I was leveraging my strengths. And my strength was to have people work together, to break the silos, to build a roadmap, engage with people, engage with clients, engage with my team. And, you know, rather than stressing on things that maybe I was not so able to do, which was, for instance, micromanaging my drilling manager, I was better at just leveraging what I was doing well. And that was kind of a little bit of a breakthrough for me at this stage from this, you know, leveraging on your strength perspective. I really like that you mentioned that because it's usually the opposite that we're told a lot of the times is, okay, you're really good at these things, but we need to develop other areas. And it's this constant of developing what you're not good at. But we've noticed a lot of people who have been very successful, they say, no, I doubled down on what I'm really good at, you know? And so I really like that you mentioned that, that that has worked for you because it's definitely a different way of looking at, you know, your strengths and how to, you know, execute through that. We had a question on the whole HR people culture, especially because you have such a big background in it. You know, the majority of your career has been in HR. You're currently the SVP people and social engagement at Total Energies. Before that, you had a very big role at Technique FMC. Can you tell us what are the traits, skill sets, or attributes of some of the highest talents that you've watched Excel have? You know, you've seen so much talented people over the years. What are some things that maybe stand out that you can see that make them successful? And what do you think as well as, you know, one of the number one reason one of the most talented employees leave an organization? So that may not be a very popular thing to say, but I don't really think there is like a unique leadership model. So, you know, you have all those leadership models, you have the leadership traits, the strategic thinking, drive, adaptability, emotional intelligence, etc. And that's all very true. But the reality is, again, that we are not all the same, right? So, and you know, and it's a great thing we are not the same because that's what creates diversity. So for me, in a way, it's actually very important to be self-aware. Maybe it goes back, you know, to what I was saying before about leveraging your strength, etc. But the self-awareness, know yourself is important because it's very hard to pretend. It's hard to fool people. So there is, I think, this amount of authenticity, which is important, right? And then maybe the other thing I would say is the resilience, which is, you know, everything around attitude towards failure. Because 
you don't unless you are extremely extremely lucky you don't get into a senior position without failing right it's you know and it's not about if you fail or not it's not about how many times you fail but it's about how you respond to this failure how you able to you know readjust adapt learn and i think that's very important this resilience because once again you know it's kind of a component to get to a certain level now in terms of people leaving i think again i think it's a hard question because for sure at a certain point in time they lose motivation they don't see what's in there for them anymore but this motivation what motivates me is not the same what motivates you or what motivates somebody else so i think you know we often say people join a company they leave a manager and yes i do think a manager has a role to play because that's our role as a manager to identify what motivate our team and provide it but sometimes it's more complex than that and there is lots of specific situation and it's back to you know we're not all the same and what could be working for me could just not work well for somebody else you know on the topic of not all the same and what might work for you might not work for somebody else really goes into what companies are sometimes very good at and not so good at, which is placing people in roles that they think they might need or they think that they're ready for and maybe they're not, or maybe that person didn't get the opportunity that they wanted because the company didn't think they would move or didn't think they would travel. So in your experience, you know, the most unexpected jobs sometimes can become the best opportunities. You know, how do you choose criteria to move people into roles that they may feel is not right for them? However, you know, it's the best next step for them. This really goes into that whole question around when people leave. Sometimes they take on a role that the company thought was right for them, and then they go into it and they end up not liking it. And then instead of requesting or asking to move out, they end up just leaving the company. And you gave an example that you experienced yourself in a role that you took when you transitioned from operations back to HR. This was not the job that you wanted. And you you didn't want to go back to the HR function. However, it turned out to be one of the best assignments that you ever had. Can you tell us about what you learned from your experience and then also the advice you would give others? Yeah, so for me, it actually happened a couple of times, you know, this being put in a job, which I really, I was not sure about. And of course, it's very easy for me now to sit here today and to lecture everyone about, you know, being open-minded and accept and be happy and do it with that smile. But I know it's not that easy because I've been there and sometimes I didn't have this smile and I didn't have this motivation. But, you know, taking a step back, I can really say that for me it worked genuinely. I think you know there are a couple of things there is the fact that you know sometimes business is business and the company may ask you to move into a position and it's not because they necessarily think it's the best for you it's just sometimes you know that's it right that's you know it's the deal you take when you join a company but Sometimes, you know, they could be also positions which are not obvious and we would naturally lean towards something that we think suits us or we think because, you know, we think we have those strengths or we think we have those capabilities or we think that's kind of a check the box position that we have to do to our next progression. And sometimes being put in actually position, which is not the one that we thought was the best for us, 
it just gives a different perspective, right? It develops some new skills because that's not the position we would naturally lean towards. Mm -hmm. So I did learn to be open-minded because once again, you know, for me to work, I was always positively surprised. And as you said, some of my best jobs were the jobs I was not expecting, you know, was a move back to HR, was a move, you know, when I took the talent manager job for Schlumberger SLB, Schlumberger at the time, which, you know, I was not so convinced working in corporate a little bit away from business was a fantastic job that, you know, gave me a very different, very global, very strategic perspective. And, you know, the last thing I would say, you know, a job is what you do out of a job. So you can always add a personal touch. You can always go the extra mile. And, you know, once again, leveraging on your strength and you may end up having fun and then you may end up differentiating yourself in this job and, you know, differentiating yourself from your predecessor because you would not do it the same as somebody else would do it. So, you know, I think it's back to kind of this being open-minded, try it. Now, you know, I do not, I absolutely do not encourage people to, you know, be miserable. So if, you know, if really you give it a try and you can genuinely say that you were open-minded when you gave it a try and it's still not working after a certain time, yeah, I think, you know, it's good to raise your hand and say, I'm not happy, I want to move on and do something else. And typically, you know, that type of situation is absolutely being accommodated, considered and so on. But before saying no, it's, you know, it's good to have a look first and give it a try. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward, and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, Go to technipfmc.com. And now back to the show. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. So talking on that same, you know, path of speaking up, there is a question that we had tailored around a LinkedIn post that you shared and you commented. And so you mentioned it's very common for employees to keep quiet when disagreeing with someone, especially at a higher level than them. You know, we often overplay the risk of speaking up that we forget to consider the risk of not speaking up, which is, in my opinion, very common, especially at a lower level in the company and as a female. You're a great believer of the importance of speaking up, voicing our opinions. This is what drives a diversity of thought, which is key, right, to a healthy, innovative culture. On LinkedIn, when you posted it, you mentioned that you personally like being challenged by your team members. It helps you tackle problems, structure ideas, and decide the way to move forward. You gave us advice that while it's important to respectfully voice concerns and not backtrack on our opinions, it's also important to stay open-minded and move off things if they don't go our way. Can you elaborate on that and why that was so important for you to share? 
Yeah, I didn't actually remember this post. It must have been a long time ago. But it's, you know, for me, it's very true. And I think you said it all. It's about, you know, voicing your opinion, doing it respectfully and moving on. I think those are kind of the three things that go, you know, hand in hand. And, you know, and the respectfully, I think the situational awareness is very important. So challenging your boss is perfectly okay. But if you do it respectfully, right, at the right time, you know, it may not be a great idea in a room full of persons say, oh, I disagree, you know, you're completely wrong, etc. But you can, you know, if you do it at the right time with a very rational and calm discussion and you, you know, you explain where you're coming from, I think it's perfectly Okay, it's what brings the diversity of thought. It what brings perspective, right? So, you know, I had one of my recent bosses would always go, this was, you know, probably a practice that he learned from one of his coaches, but he would always go around the table and he would ask us for an opinion before he would say what he thinks about it, right? Because once he said, you know, then we would all tend to align to what he was saying. And I thought that was great because people would really speak up, maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but once they noticed it was okay, they did. And the opinions were really different and that was creating a debate. So I do think it's important. I do like when my team members speak up, when they give me their perspective, their opinion, because it does help me to formulate my own opinion. And it does sometimes change my opinion and, you know, sometimes not. But and it also gives you, you know, independently of formulating your opinion, it also helps you to understand what could be the difficulties along the way. If you see what I mean, you know, if mm-hmm. what could be the pushback, if you want to go that way and you absolutely convinced you want to go that way, talking to people and hearing what objections they may have helps you as well to anticipate, you know, those potential pushbacks. So I think, you know, I think you said it now, you know, I do personally think it's important to move on and not get stuck in your idea. Again, depending on the circumstances, right? If you just, you know, create a startup and you believe in your vision, I think, you know, that's great to stick to your idea. But if you work for a company, you know, sometimes, you know, as senior managers, senior executives, we have limited amount of time, we have limited amount of energy and kind of, you know, dealing with someone who is stuck in a place, stuck on an idea, takes a lot of energy and, you know, we could, that we could spend on something more constructive, right? And there are also situations where you don't have the full perspective because you don't have all the information you need and you don't know what could justify the decision you disagree with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, so there is a point where you have to move on. And if you don't move on, then, you know, maybe consider other opportunities. But it's very hard to, you know, to have as much as I love, you know, the challenging, the perspective, having too much of kind of negativity friction is also hard to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And on the subject of moving on, you know, it really comes to us to like ask you 18 years at Slumberger, you decided to leave. And to that point of, you know, when do you find that it is the right time that maybe you're not in the right situation or you're not in the right role? And you always since a young age felt your overall happiness and work satisfaction were crucial in your life choices, which we also fully align with and believe in. 
How do you know when it's time to walk away from a company, a position, or even a manager, especially when you feel so tied to it? Like, you know, just recently people always are leaving companies and, you know, they come out and they say, I've been here for 25 years and I feel like it's a part of my family. And now I'm leaving and I don't feel like myself, but yet they feel that that is the right choice and they end up flourishing and having a great role afterwards. But that initial step forward is really difficult. How does somebody know that it's time for them and that, you know, going and taking that risk is worth it? So leaving Schlumberger, you know, we should say SLB now, but I'm still, you know, when I left, it was still Schlumberger, so I'm allowed to say Schlumberger. I think it was really a very, very hard decision, and I very much apprehended the day where I had to really break the news, or was not really breaking the news because it was, you know, ongoing process, but confirmed my decision to my two bosses who are, by the way, wonderful managers. So this was certainly not the reason that pushed me to leave. But I was just ready. So, you know, for me, the decision was like, I take many other decisions, a combination of, you know, really thinking it's true with a spreadsheet with pro and cons and, you know, and all of that, like we take decisions sometimes. And the gut feeling at the end, right? So my gut feeling was telling me I was not enjoying anymore what I was doing. I felt like I didn't have the impact as a leader. And I, you know, I couldn't be credible because it's hard to pretend you are happy. It's hard to pretend you are motivated. So I didn't want to, and, you know, and I didn't want it as well to stay and look for another job and, you know, pretend everything is okay. And, you know, on the other hand, my spreadsheet was telling me, you know, number one, I can do it. So, you know, financially, my husband was working, so I could afford to take a break and, you know, leave without having a job lined up. And, you know, career-wise, it was making sense because I was at the level where I could kind of go on, you know, do something else, discover a different company, get some different perspectives. So it was really the combination of, both, you know, I think, you know, it's important not to take decisions purely on emotions, but if you try to overcalculate it, it's hard also. So sometimes the gut feeling helps and you kind of feel it when, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're not that happy anymore to go to and do your job. So, you know, for me, that's how it worked. It was really scary because, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't have any options lined up. I didn't have a network. I was probably a little bit too much internally focused. So I didn't know anyone older than than the Schuberger people. But at the end, you know, it turned out being a great decision. I had a wonderful summer break with my family. Maybe that contributed a little bit to the decision. And, you know, and at the end, a fantastic opportunity with Technip FMC, where I joined the executive team taking care of HR. So ended up well. Well, it just shows that sometimes to get rewards, you need to take that risk. And you clearly did, because even with a spreadsheet, with the pros and cons, you had nothing to, you didn't have a job lined up, which I think was very incredible when we heard it. Usually at that level, you know, they already have a job lined up. They're going to be EVPs or CEOs already, but you really took that chance on you and you bet on you and saying, I know I can do this and I'm going to find a great job. So that's, thank you for sharing. That's incredible. And on that topic of even spending time with your family that summer, which was probably the first summer where you didn't have to read emails, pick up the phone, or really focus on family, 
Can you tell us a little bit about just mom guilt as a whole, especially with how consuming your career has been with travel intensive, time consuming roles, high pressure, right? We just oil industry, which is 24 seven. How did you kind of manage that while raising your two daughters with also your husband who was very busy with his own career and also very driven? But we know when we kind of asked you this question, when we spoke, you mentioned that your mom was a very hardworking mom and you truly saw how much you loved her career. So can you tell us a little bit about how your mom influenced you into kind of how you dealt with motherhood? Sure. So, you know, indeed, I think she was, for me, she was a great role model from that perspective because she was always quite active. She absolutely loved her job. And, you know, even when we moved to Algeria, initially it was for my dad's job and, you know, and she found very quickly a job without speaking the language. So, you know, she managed, she started to work at the university teaching architecture by memorizing her lectures because she didn't speak the language enough. So, but she was there when I needed her. I was maybe, you know, maybe I had a nanny who would spend lots of time with me when I was a little kid and who would pick me up from school. But really, you know, I didn't feel none of it altered my relationship with my mother from that perspective. I would say, you know, she was there when I needed her. And I was always very proud of her that she had this career. And, you know, she ended up raising two very independent daughters. My my sister, you know, has her own, own career. And, you know, for me, I would say, and obviously when you have such a role model, it helps because, you know, mm-hmm. once again, it didn't alter my relationship. But it's for me, it's important. It's about stopping this mom guild because, you know, it's okay if you miss a school performance, but, you know, it's even more appreciated if you make the next one. It's, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you show up the next time, the kids are like, oh, mommy, you're here. So I think it's important to give ourselves credit for that. And so kind of stopping the guilt, asking for help is important. So I was lucky, you know, you mentioned my husband. My husband has always been supportive. We kind of manage this career and he's been always kind of picking his part of domestic duties, kids duties, and we'd always do it the way where, you know, when it was make sense for me to take on more, I would, when it was making sense for him to take on more, he would. So there was never, you know, we always kind of work together. We had lots of support, you know, a morning nanny, an afternoon nanny, a night nanny, when we were both traveling. But at the end, you know, once again, I think I felt, you know, I managed to be there and What's important as well is to be very clear about the priorities. You know, when is the one school performance you do want to show up? And, you know, you may miss many, but there is one you want. And just a little anecdote, I remember at a certain point of my career, I had a very, very demanding, very demanding boss and a little bit micromanaging. And I had this appointment for one of my kids, which was every Thursday at 2 p.m., And it was like a two hours appointment. At the time, there was no working from home. So, you know, it's not like today where you can just walk from home and, you know, flexible hours at the time was not really that much. And I very much apprehended that in the beginning is like, you know, how it would look like. I think, again, the guilt, you know, the guilt, not the mom guilt, but like the professional woman guilt. And 
you know, at the end, you know, I decided this was the priority for me. I was extremely transparent about this. You know, I didn't try to sneak out of the office or so on. Just, you know, being transparent and it worked to the point that, you know, my super, super demanding boss, you know, on Thursday, he would, when I was late, he would go and say, hey, you have kids appointment, go, leave. And so, you know, I think you have to kind of set priorities. I would say, you know, I probably disagree with the you can have it all, but I do think that you can have what you want if you define those realistic priorities and what's important for you. I absolutely love that you shared the topic of priorities because it's so important. And for you to be so transparent with your boss, especially at that time, like you said, it's not like today where it's super flexible. And a lot of times your boss might not even know that you are somewhere at two o'clock because you're working from home. This was not the case, right? Like he knew when you were leaving, but not only that, he ended up supporting you in that. And I think that says a whole lot about, you know, y'all's relationship and also just you as an employee and then your boss being empathetic to what you needed at that time. And I think that's really great advice for those listening. Lastly, you know, we want to ask you, looking back at your career, what is some of the best advice that you have gotten? And I know that this is like a really broad question, but maybe the first thing you can think of that you could share with us, just anything that you can recall from your past experiences. Yeah, I think, you know, I would kind of go back to the, you know, start where we started. And it's about this being open-minded and just seizing the opportunity. Because I do see, you know, and that's maybe in my role as well as HR, I do see so many people stressed about this career path story, right? Because they were told, you know, you need to map your career, you need to define what's your next step, etc. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, you know, it does work extremely well for some people, but sometimes it just does not work. And, you know, life just goes on and things happen. And this seizing the opportunities, being open-minded and making the best out of it, I think it's really important. So I would say, you know, that's kind of my point. And then, you know, I think the knowing yourself is important as well. You know, you see actually more and more management courses, classes, training, etc., starting with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I think it's back to the authenticity a little bit. It's really hard to pretend. It's really hard to try to, you know, hide all those weaknesses. You can hide a little bit, but it's hard to hide it all. So it's probably better, you know, to once again, you know, leverage on your strengths and just be yourself. And sometimes, you know, in some situations, it may not work. But in many situations, it will. And at least you will be in situation that kind of fit with, you know, who you are and who you want to be. And I think the failure part is important as well. You know, for me, it's again, how you recover, how you respond. It's the resilience. It's almost impossible that you don't have any failures at a certain point in time, you know, in life, in career, in in everything. So I think those would be kind of the main point. And maybe, you know, the last is, you know, you're not doing it alone. No one does, you know, unless very kind of special areas and so on. So you're there because also of the others. You're there because there are some managers who took the risk of you, because, you know, your team supported you, because your peers supported you. 
So I think it's important also to give back, you know, there is kind of this level of generosity of recognition of the network as well. That would be, you know, the last, maybe the last advice to, because I think it helps. It helps you, it helps the others, but also, you know, it pays back, to be very frank, sometimes to have this network of people that you supported and, you know, who one day will support you back. So I think those would be kind of, I can go on and go on and go on, <laughs> but then it starts to get really boring and, <laughs> no. and you try to, right? try to focus on kind of my main, you know, main thoughts around that. No, thank you so much. I think ending it with that, with taking risks, you know, everybody's going to fail and understanding that being authentic is super important. And most importantly, like you are not alone and you don't do it alone and nobody was successful by themselves. And your story really shows and tells that, but also just at the end of the day, if you are authentic, and you do fail, it's a lot more easier to recover than if you're trying to be somebody else and you fail. So I think pulling that full circle was just, you know, very great advice. So we're really, really happy that you came on today. And thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thank you very much. I love what you just said at the end, you know, about better to fail if at least you fail being yourself, right? (laughs) It's it's great, great comment. Thank you very much for having me. It was a great discussion. Yeah, thank you. And for those listening, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and we do have TikTok now, so you can find us everywhere. So thank you again and stay tuned for the next one. Mm-hmm.